Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Project Football Podcast in association with Luke Williamson Art and the Football for Brains 21 quiz book. A little bit more on those later on. Uh, first off, I'd like to say thank you to guests on episode 45, and that was Arthur and Chris from the band The Cavs. Uh, but in this episode, I'm going to be chatting to singer, songwriter and big Manchester United fan, Daz Cadwallander. Uh, Daz is going to be taking on the usual unpredictable randomness of five from five, picking his matches for four for you and choosing a Man United 11 in a trip here through time. Alongside all that is the new music segment in the top six, five tier champs, the PFP FPL roundup and FM story two. Also, just to make up for not having a Burnley related poem in the last episode, thanks to Neil Warnock. If you know, you know, if not, go back to the last release and have a listen. It'll all make sense. Um, so in the spirit of fairness, there'll be one later on just to balance things out. Uh, before we go into the main chat with Daz, uh, we're going to give you some information on Manchester United and also a little bit of Daz and his music with his songs Brother and I Feel Alive. It's time for kickoff. Uh, I know I've done this before because obviously you know, we've had a couple of other Man United fans on before. Um, Paul Nixon, James from the Oasis podcast, uh, Luke and B from City Lights. But I figured, you know, we'll go and you know, do the, the information thing again because there's a couple of things that have changed, I think, since last time um, I did this. So we'll just do it as if it's the first time. So, so Man United, we've got a nickname of the Red Devils, uh, founded in 1878 as Newton Heath. Uh, currently play at Old Trafford and it's got a capacity of 74,310. Uh, the manager is a Dutchman, Eric Ten Hag. Uh, currently playing the trade in the Premier League. Uh, last season, they finished sixth. Uh, main rivals, um, according to Wikipedia, um, we all know that's you know the, the gospel of all things research-based. Um, it's got it down as the main rivals of Liverpool, Man City and Leeds. Um, record against Liverpool is that they've won 82, drawn 58 and lost 71. And... Man United fans won't thank me for mentioning the last time that they played, which was March this year, uh, this year the 2023-23 season even, at Anfield, and it was Liverpool 7, Man United nil. So the kind of thing, if you remember the old Teletext days or the Vidi printer, they'd spell out the number, they'd spell it out in letters just in case you were, you know, you didn't believe your eyes. Um the Man City rivalry, uh, Man United have won 78, drawn 53 and lost 58. Uh, the last meeting with Man City was in the Premier League in January 2023. And they beat Man City 2-1. Um, that was at Old Trafford. And they're currently due to play... I say currently, like they're not going to play each other at any point. Um, they're due to play each other in the FA Cup final on June the 3rd. So see how that plays out. And... The other rivalry that they got was like Leeds United. Uh, Man United have won 50, drawn 37 and lost 26. Their last meeting again was a Premier League game and that was at Ellen Road and Man United were 2-0 victors. All-time leading goal scorer is uh, Wayne Rooney with 253. Uh, that was between 2004 and 2017. Uh, All-time appearance holder is Ryan Giggs with 963. That uh, was between 91 and 2014. Highest transfer fee paid out was when they brought Paul Pogba uh, back to the club 
and that's for 89.3 million in August 2016. And highest transfer fee received was when they sold Cristiano Ronaldo to Real Madrid in July 2009 for a little bit, just only 80 million. Um, record win in the league. So this is across um, pre uh, Premier League and Premier League era. Um, it's by nine goal margin. So it was 10 1 against Wolverhampton Wanderers in the first division in October 1892. Uh, and then they've done 9 0 on four occasions uh, against Warsaw in the second division in April 1895, against Darwin on Christmas Eve in 1898, and a little bit more recently, Ipswich Town uh, in March 1995, and then the final one of the 9-0s um, was against Southampton in February 2021. Uh, record FA Cup win is apparently 8-0, that was against Yeovil Town in February 1949, uh, record league cup win, 7-2 versus Newcastle at home in the fourth round in October 1976. Record European win, 10-0 versus Anderlecht in the European Cup preliminary round second leg. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, which apparently that was in September 1956. Uh, record league defeat, uh, they've been done 7-0 on four occasions, one of which I've already spoken about. Uh, the first one was in April 1926 against Blackburn Rovers. Then uh, again, that was in the first division. Then December 1930, they lost 7-0 to Aston Villa in the first division. Uh, Wolves got some sort of revenge on them in uh, December 1931 on Boxing Day in the second division by beating them 7-0. And again, that match at Anfield uh, from this season. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on from that one. Uh, record FA Cup defeat. Um, there's been twice they've suffered a six-goal deficit. Um, first time was 7-1 against Burnley in the first round in February 1901. And then three years later, they lost 6-0 in the second round, uh, February 1904, to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, record defeat in the League Cup is supposedly 4-0 away at the MK Dons in the second round in August 2014. Uh, record European defeat was 5-0 away to Sporting CP in the Cup Winners' Cup quarter-final second leg in March 1964. Again, all just rolls off the tongue. Uh, top division winners, uh, as their song goes 20 times, in 1908, 1911, 1952, 56, 57, 65, 67, and since the Premier League's inception in 1993, 94, 96, 97, the treble of 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2011, and 2013, which was their last one. And funnily enough, they've not won the league since Alex Ferguson left. Who knew? Um, second division, or tier two, uh, they won that in 1936 and 1975. They were also promoted from it um, for, uh, 1906, 1925 and 1938. So I think that's as low as they've been. Um, won the FA Cup 12 times in 1909, 
2004 and 2016. Uh, Runners-up in 1957, 58, 95, and I've got the numbers in the wrong order here, but yeah, uh, 1976, 79, uh, 2005, 2007, and 2018. So, League Cup. Uh, winners in 1992, uh, 2006, 2009, 2010, 2017, and most recently, there were this season's uh, League Cup winners against Newcastle. Uh, they've been runners-up uh, four times in 1983, 91, 94, and 2003. Uh, Charity Shield, everyone hit... Uh, only 21 times, uh, 1908, 11, 52, 56, 57, uh, shared in 65, 67, and 77, uh, won it in 1983, shared in 1990, then won it outright in 93, 94, 96, 97, 03, 07, 08, 2010, 11, 13, and 16. Uh, winners of the European Cup or Champions League, in 1968, 99, and 2008. Uh, winners of the Europa League in 2017. Winners of the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup in 1991. Uh, the UEFA Super Cup, also in 1991. The FIFA World Club Cup in 2008. And the Intercontinental Cup in 1999. But in terms of doubles and trebles, they've done four different doubles. They've done the League and FA Cup in 94 and 96 the League and the Champions League in 2008, the League and the League Cup in 2009, and the League Cup and the Europa League in 2017. And as far as trebles go, they've done uh, one, and that was the League, the FA Cup, and Champions League in 1999. Um, as far as a foot in both camps, there's quite a few well-known names on this one. They've got Brian Robson, Laurie Cunningham, Romelu Lukaku, Thomas Cusack, Ben Foster, Johnny Evans, Ronnie Warwork, and Kieran Richardson. So just to get some context, it's just players that have played for both West Brom and Man United. Um, five famous fans got Angus Loughran. Uh, there was Stato on the original fantasy football in the 1990s. Uh, Olympic gold medalist, Greg Rutherford. Actor, probably best known for Lovejoy and John Wick, uh, Ian McShane, who apparently his father played for Man United as well, so kind of makes sense that he'd support him. Uh, Game of Thrones actor, Kit Harrington, and actress in Coronation Street and singer in Hearsay, Kim Marsh. Right, so now we've got all that waffle out of the way, um, here's a little bit of Daz's music before we go into the, uh, the main conversation. And... Um, going to play a little bit of his latest song, I Feel Alive, and that'll be followed up by a single released prior to that called Brother.
So I would like to welcome to the latest episode of the Project Football Podcast, uh, singer-songwriter, so go by that. Yeah, and that's all, mate. Massive Man United fan, Daz Cadwallander. Daz, welcome to the show. You all right? Good, pal. Good, Mark. How are you, pal? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, again, thank you for, for taking the time out to join us. Uh, really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. So we'll, uh, we'll kick off with the, the music side of things. Um, I suppose... First question. You, know, you might you might well have answered some of these before, so I apologise if you're sort of going over old ground. But um, how did you get into it? I've always loved music. Um, ever since growing up, some of the family sort of listened to the older stuff, the like Day Straight, Fleetwood Mac, um, and they did loads of different bands. And then Sam and Garfunkel, and then I sort of did, went into my teens and started listening to the usuals, the nineties, the Verve, the Oasis, um, those sort of bands, and then into the Noughties with um, until early 2010s with Arctic Monkeys and Cortina. So I got into music through those early days and then sort of early teenage years got into it really with them, their mixture of bands and even artists like Jamie T and stuff like that. I just used to love music and just got really into it and then decided to start. The um, friend was always a brilliant guitar guitarist, had lessons and things like that. But I never have. I've just picked up it up and sort of chipped away and developed a guitar style which works and started singing and one day it sounded all right. So I decided to jam nights. And then <laughs> from there on, you just thought, on, I could make right. a sort of go with this. Yeah, it's get a well. With those bands that you've mentioned, just like, you know, your Simon and Garfunkel, um, I'd Made and Oasis, those few, are those ones that have had an influence on you for your songwriting and your style or have you got like specific um, ones that you're sort of not sort of pigeonhole they, but that... some of my slower stuff although it's not necessarily on some of that I've not even released yet uh, some of the songs I've got sort of um, the Simon Garfield Uncle Touch to him in terms of how they're written um, but I'd say more than I'd say more than 90s is more the stuff that I've probably more more influence on my songwriting and such like the uh, the Oasis the Verve yeah, and sort of on Stone Roses, um, and and most recently probably people like it towards the early twenties. I still started listening to a lot of Palantini and things like that as well. So he's okay. someone that I sort of see as a really good songwriter, and I can sort of resonate with him when I'm writing my songs. It's a bit of a mixture of it. When you sort of you know you've got your sort of first influence, and you're picking up other ones down the line. You think, well, if I mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, mm. then you get something that, well, it is new, I suppose, and you're sort of a, a hybrid, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. If I mix a little bit of Neil Young with a little bit of Neil Gallagher, it'll be a nice cocktail. Yeah. So. They could get Neil Gallagher for a stick. <laughs> <laughs> not, not too much of a difference on the name either. So. Not much either. Could copyright yeah, exactly. that one. Um, so <laughs> you've recently, if I'm right in saying, supported uh, Reverend and the Makers, didn't you? Yeah, it was um, 
back two weeks. It's been a bit of a crazy couple of weeks, to be fair, because two weeks ago, um, when Rev was putting a bit of a push on to get to top 10 album, he invited some artists, local artists, Tom Sheffield, um, living in Sheffield, and some of the other artists who were this way on, to go and support him on his sort of uh, pop-up store in Middlewall. So it was brilliant. It was a really good experience. Yeah, Rev was class. Um, really approachable, helped out all the artists on there, give them a bit of a push, which was nice, and vice versa, we did the same with the album. And then from that, I've just supported um, the Sherlock's on two, two dates this past week as well, which is obviously quite a big band up here. Yeah, I was going to say, so, they're from Sheffield, didn't they, the Sherlock's? Yeah, well, weirdly enough, I'm from the same street as them, in, oh. <laughs> in the village called Bought the Bottom Dern. So where I'm from is like a little village in the middle of Barnes of Rotherham and Doncaster. I've lived in Sheffield for about five years now. But yeah, I grew up on the same street as two of them lads in that band. So. Oh, what are the chances? <laughs> and they were like, you're going to go to Portland this week. I was like, yeah, of course I do. Why so, not? So with the uh, with the Rev thing, did he approach you or did you go to him or how did that? I put it out on to Twitter as like an open forum. Um, just literally dropped a message. Replied pretty much straight away saying, yeah, we can get you on, pal. And then Brilliant. before I got on, he sort of said he'd, he'd listen to me some of the tracks and he'd like some of the tunes and that's what I'm doing. Also got a full band behind me, giving it a push up sort of thing. So real nice to be fair. It's spot on. I was gonna say, you know, when you get that sort of feedback from someone who's been as successful as they have, you know. Yeah. That's like a five star review, isn't it, sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's definitely makes you think you're doing the right thing. Um yeah. I think sometimes in you in your own head as a musician, you think, Am I doing the right thing? Am I am I am I good enough? All that sort of thing across your head. And you just gotta believe in yourself really. The, Thing is with music, it's subjective. Anyone can think anything about it. You might have the not going to be the best guitarist or the best singer in the world. It's for me. It's always down to the song and the songwriting, and that's what I've always been interested in. Love. So if I keep writing songs that I like, and other people do. That's 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 another thing. That's things. You know, it, it's all down to opinion, isn't it? So you know, yeah, you're, yeah, not, exactly. you're not necessarily going to like the thing that the next person's going to like, but there might be some sort of crossover. So yeah, exactly. like the Pulp versus Oasis thing in the night. Is that was a massive divide of opinions and divide of clashes of personality and bands and everything, culture, everything all into one. So, but there was both massive. So, yeah. like I say, as long as you can get on the right page with a big sort of population of people, you, you've got potential to do well. And that's, that's the that's thing, it. I suppose, with the with the backing that, you know, say, Rev's got, it only takes, you know, a small percentage of them to get onto your stuff. And that builds yeah, your sort of I've, fan base up by a, a I've decent I've seen that more on um, probably Twitter. I've never, really, I probably should use it Five years ago, I might be, you know, quite <laughs> main stage of Glastonbury by now. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's still time. Yeah, there is, there is, there is definitely awful. But I started using Twitter uh, start of this year, and it's come on leaps and bounds in terms of fan base growing, and even more so since then. I've always got a good sort of exposure and following on Instagram, but Twitter things getting people to really engage and yeah. share up fans, the rev fans are like all connecting with each other and tagging me stuff and. Sit like posting pictures of the song, saying you listen to it on the runs and stuff like that. So that's where I've seen more engagement. It's definitely something like you just mentioned then with the Red fans and Sherlock fans and people from other groups of music that are similar to, to mine as such can sort of see a resemblance in that and get onto it and like it because it's up and yeah. coming. But similar but different enough to sort of be, yeah, you know, you stand out from each other. Yeah, because I was fun with music. I can't remember the first time my brother ever showed me. Um, when the sun goes down, I was like 13 or something like that, active monkeys. And that back then, there wasn't obviously then 
the Facebooks and all that sort of thing and the Instagrams and it just got shared on uh, infrared on your Sonny Ericsson and just used <laughs> to be shared by all your, all your pals and it was like, oh, this is a tune. So I understand when people find a new band and they like them, they want to share it with the mates. It's just always a thing that's been involved in music. So that's always that thing, which is a good thing. It's <laughs> a thing these days, literally, someone can click a Spotify link, share it on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, just yeah, right, yeah. it's there for, for the world to Everyone see that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So in that so, respect, it's actually better for us. It's more accessible. Oh, definitely. I mean, like you say, if you'd have had that sort of you know, 20 years ago or so, it could have been so much different, but there you go. Yeah, here we are. Um, if you can go into any detail on them, great. But if you can't, I understand. Um, have you got any sort of plans for the near future, sort of like uh, gigs, you know, single releases, yeah. anything that? Yeah, so I've got a new song coming out. I haven't announced it yet, but um, it's going to be hopefully in the next month, beginning of the month after that. Um, and a lot of bands will probably say this, but I do think so far, in terms of what I released, not necessarily the catalogue I've wrote, probably the best, the best song in terms of the biggest song I've got. Um, it's got a bit of a 90s slash... And I'll probably say like a bit of a Sam Fender feel, and that's quite a big the rave at the minute. Okay. Um, it's quite, quite sort of powerful forward summer sort of song, but yeah. it's got that night night is on it. So that's going to be coming out. I'm going to release a music video with that. Um, it's going to be called "See You in the Afterglow." So that's okay. going to come out very soon. And then the gigs we've got confirmed, we've got. Um, Got one fourth of June in Sportsman, which is a festival which I'm headlining in Sheffield. Um, we've got a gig at the end of, and then there's a little bit of a gap then, but we're working on quite a lot of stuff in the background. And then we've got a big gig in September um, at the Gorilla Bar in Mexico, which is a really cool, really cool venue actually. It's just been the last two years it's come about, but quite a lot of big bands have played there, and a lot of big promoters have been using it already. It's probably about 400, 500 cap, but they're yeah. getting a lot of big bands on, and it's it's really cool. It's you're going to the Mexico is only a small little village, it's near where I'm from. But you drive into it, and there's like a riverbank on the left, and then you drive into to where the gig is. It's like some gates. It looks like it's not even the place we meant to go. And then all of a sudden, this this building's been refurbished. It's got loads of decking next to the river, and then you go in. It's like a big old Danish hall, really okay. good for some gigs. So playing there in September, that should be great. Um, and then we've, the biggest one we've got planned in terms of confirmed dates is going to be um, early February next year, which seems a long way away. Uh, but Redline, Leadmill main room, which is like a thousand cap. So the plan is to grow a fan base, grow gigs, uh, get some good supports in there, and then there'll be a point where we can fill out and sell out the main room at Leadmill. And that's quite a big stepping stone for a lot of the yeah. fans there. Push. A couple of things on that. First thing, I honestly thought to start with, he said Mexico, not Mexborough. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to say that there's branching out and then there's going over to Central America. For... <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you get a gig in Guadalajara or something, then why the hell not? Um, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah it's like, hang on, Mex no, Mexborough near Sheffield. Yes, now that makes more sense. Um, and yeah, and obviously the lead mill as well. There's been a bit about that recently, and they're trying to sort of save the venue. Yeah. So I was surprised. It's big, big one up that way, isn't it? Yeah, so... It is now probably in terms of what's left because there's been a, a couple like shut recently and obviously taken over. The landmark's still one of the only standing old um, 
sort of up and coming for bands, grassroots venues in terms of like history and and people that have played there go in in terms of like one of the one of the top five in the country. So if I was to you know sell sell out headline main show next year, that'd be absolutely amazing. Dreams come true, really. We played the O2 last year. The O2 two upstairs. It's the upstairs room. It's not the main rooms. 500 cap and we sold 450 tickets which really it was amazing for the best game we played but it dropped him a little bit because we were like 50 off something you're that close to yeah well that was that was like I used to walk past that venue and I got my name in there and I used to think oh I'd love to play there like what hell and, and then all of a sudden I was playing it in headline in the main room upstairs so it's you know you've got to keep drafting away and it can happen that's it that's like a bit of hard work goes a long way doesn't it yeah, of course it does mate 100% yeah. yep that's the music side of things done. Um, so if yeah. you want to move on to the football. So like I said um, in the intro to you, you're a big Man United fan. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you're the wrong side of the roses for for that particular club. <laughs> you've, uh, how does that sort of work? Wrong side of what, sorry? In terms of the roses, the, yeah, so you're in Yorkshire. Oh, right. Well, yeah, I got a lot so of what, What's the sort of story behind... Beyond picking Uganda, up United. Really. Uganda was a lot older than me. And I'll be honest, it's one of them. It's, I know he gets cliche thing. I used to watch football in Uganda. It wasn't even me going to matches with him. It was too old. Uganda, mm. when I was 14, 15, 15 years old, they passed away in 97. He fought in World War II. But I used to go and watch the tap. When when United were like the Vodafone sponsorship years with Van Roy and yeah. all them players, that's when I used to just go and watch it with television every day. And I was 10 to 11 years old. And that's what we used to watch every day, every weekend. And I used to love it. So, just carried, just carried on falling for man. Never, never got took to game as a kid to any of like in his team. So that's all I had. So I used to, that's where it came from, really. So you see them and so then that's it. So people calling me armchair supporters, I suppose, can give me a bit, can give me a bit of stick <laughs> to an extent. But that's where it came from. And then as I've got older, obviously, going to lot and gone on my own. And I took a couple of nice away days with United and gone to plenty of own games on my own. But that's where it came from initially. And I've just yeah. fallen from something. The annoying thing about that is that I was born in 93. And although a lot of people can remember 99, I can't. Right. I can't remember it, which is really frustrating. Um, but that's that's it. That's one of my... It's uh, one of those things, isn't it? Being a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember watching it because like, it was when Champions League would have been on terrestrial telly on ITV, wouldn't it? About yeah, it was, it was the best when it was on ITV. I'm sorry, but... It was the best apart from when Ronaldo scored that trick against us. <laughs> they, they said, hey, Ronaldo scores against everyone, though, doesn't he? He does. So, he does. Um, how do you think you're going to finish this season? Do you think you'll get top four or do you think you're just going to miss out? Um, I think we'll get in top four. I think we will. You think I think just he's got, got to... I've just seen that he's actually got the most points. Um, he's just pipped Jose to the most points in his season. In his first season, he's a manager at United. So, I think he's got 38 to date, yours. Josie had 37. And I did love Josie United. Josie United, to be fair, I, I like Mourinho as a manager. I think he was quite negative towards the end, but, but his football, that's that's how he is, isn't he? Yeah, pragmatic, um, I, I think, think it's probably there. Yeah, pragmatic, yeah, he's very pragmatic. But he knows how to win things, and that's... I think when he said um, finishing second is my greatest achievement in my managerial career, I think once... Ole Gunnar was at the end of his sort of tenure. I think that actually comes through as how well a job Mourinho did with that squad. Yeah. At the time. So um, you, you do the best with the tools you've been given, don't you? 
Yeah, exactly. I think I don't think the, the managers, although the, the owners have been absolutely horrendous, I don't think they've always got the backing to buy the players that they want. Yeah. It didn't come out this week, hasn't it, that um Ole Gunnar wanted to buy Allen for four million before he even joined United, like three months before I said, Can we buy him when I join? Right. And they rejected it. Um but you don't know how true that is. They can always say that afterwards, can't you? I suppose. Oh, that's it. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's uh, fair to no, say uh, you're going to need a new keeper. I, I fear. Yeah, I think he has been probably my second. For, for, actually, to fair, I think he's up there with either the best or second best keeper United ever. And I think if he was in better squads, he'd also won a lot more. He's probably won more points for us than any other keeper has in terms of draws or yeah. keepers in games. And over the years, he's been great, but like you say, he's, he's modern day goalkeepers now have changed so much that they, they can't just be a shot stopper anymore. And one thing he's never really been confident with his day of is, is um, aerial duels and yeah. collecting balls from corners and his, and his sort of distribution of the ball and first touch has always been horrendous in comparison to like Edison and Allison, who's just leaps and bounds apart. His, his shot stopping's always been really good, but it's only so far I can take these days. Yeah, sure. you you say about the sort of aerial thing and the command of his box. I remember seeing him um, when you played at the Hawthorns. I think yeah. you just signed him that season. Oh, you, could, you could tell <laughs> yeah. that he wasn't the most confident coming out for things. You know, we were just sort of launching the big blokes up again. Like uh, I think we'd have had like Jonas Olsen, Gareth McCauley at that point, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he just wasn't up for the physical side of things. But it was probably the difference in the nature of the game over here to what he'd been used to in Spain. Yeah, it's, it's a very different game spin. I think, to be fair, actually, that early stage, I'm not even sure if they're contemplating whether it would be right. But I think Ferguson's thought that stick with him, he'll, he'll come good. And he obviously did. He, he was better, and he was even better now in duels. But he's come back to that sort of. I've seen recently with playing games where he's just made so many mistakes in them sort of aerial. And, and also, decision making has been poor. Yeah. So it's cost us quite a few points. So was, that, no, that, that, that in the Europa League was absolutely shambolic. Yeah. With goalkeepers, also, you know, they make one mistake and it gets highlighted. Whereas, like, yeah. a midfielder misplaces a pass and just, like, well, just, you know, notch it on the stats and that's yeah, it. No, you just move on, don't you? But or if you miss a one on one strike, it's all right. We'll, yeah. You know, we'll De Bruyne will find the food in a minute. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, you're right. Goalkeepers get a lot more um, exposure and, you know, attention on their mistakes than any other player on pitch. Yeah. Um, I think recently, and it's only been the last couple of days, it was the. 10 year anniversary of Fergie's last game, yeah, it was so, 5 5 5 against yep. Swansea. <laughs> it wasn't against Swansea, it was against the Albion. Against Albion, it was. I was there, I shouldn't. Was you? Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna get accused now of, of keep bringing this up, but the fact that it's around the anniversary, there's, there's a lad in particular who will listen to this who I know is a big United fan, and he's gonna say, Oh, you brought that up deliberately, and like, <laughs> no, it, it's it was all the yesterday or today. Um, it was yeah, the, the 10 year anniversary of it, which for me, I can't believe it's it been Lukaku that long already. Lukaku Atrick, yeah, yeah, I thought it was, I thought he had a good game against us that day because I can remember, um, I don't know how many get we were winning by or what, what the scoreline was, but I can remember Ferguson, even though it was last game and we'd, we'd done so well last season. It was so absolutely seething at the fact that they dropped such a big lead. Yeah, and I was think like, went mental at the place. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I think I think you went three 0 up. We got it yeah, back to four uh, three one. Then you went four, four one, and four, I think one, four yeah. two. Then you had a three goal lead again, possibly. I, like I say, it's ten years ago. Well. 
But that was the only five-five that he ever had, Ferguson. Yeah, I think it's the only one that's been in the, the, the Premier League as such, isn't yeah. it? There might well have been one in the old sort of Division One days, but in the Premier League, yeah. it's definitely. Yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll take that little bit of history. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's um, it's a great way to go out though, isn't it? On a you know ten-goal thriller. Oh, ten-goal thriller. Yeah. It's good that you, you were there, mate. To be fair, that's brilliant. It was um, nice, goal, nice game. To, was it one of the best games you've been to? It was. It was definitely one of the most entertaining. Yeah, apart from when yeah. you know you started battering us to start with. Thought, oh, Christ, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Typ- typical Albion rolling over when the big boys come to town, and then it's like, oh, hang on, we're actually making a go with this. Nope. This wasn't it's in the script. Cool. The in the early days in the Prem was just an absolute beast. I, I think Albion and Everton definitely got the best out of him. Yeah, they were two teams. That was it. I well, Alvin Everton got the best tip out of him. He, he flew to 100 goals really quick. And then from that, he just sort of, we, we, was, we were shocking with him. And then he just, I don't know, I didn't rate him. And then he went to, when he went to Milan, I was like, they're getting the best out of him again. And then they came to Chelsea and he just went backwards again. It's weird. It's probably easier playing in Serie A than the Premier League though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Definitely is. Look, Ten Hag's first season. Obviously, yeah. didn't get off to the greatest to start with your first couple of results, but now no. you are where you are. You know, you've got the league up under your belt. Um, you're looking for a, a top four finish, all being well, and you're in the FA Cup final. Do you see that as a successful first season, or do you think he should have done better with the team he's got? Or uh, um, what would you sort I'd of say... if, it, if it was grading in, in like score grades? What would you grade it? Some of the perform, I'd, I'd probably a lot of people would probably say United fans would probably say seven and a half. But realistically, if I was going to go on a, like a decimal point score, some of the yeah, he has been a massive improvement. I don't want to sound like a negative fan. You can see there's a way of playing when it works, and you can see that he's going in the right direction. He's trying to. He's, he's made some big decisions. For example, when he was leaving Maguire out to play Shaw and setting the defensive midfield, uh, centre back, sorry, and it working. Um, and getting people to play a certain way. You can see when you've got Martinez, Varane, Casemiro, Ericsson in the team, they work and it's we're, we're getting results. They're, they're fantastic to watch and good, but then there's been, when it's not been the right squad or the right team and they've not been on it, like getting absolutely battered at Liverpool, against Liverpool, like more than we have at other seasons, I'd probably, give, I'd probably have to give them like a 6.8 from us because I think, to win, to win two, if we win two cups, then that'll probably be a difference. You know, might be a seven point eight, but yeah. we haven't. Yet. We've won one, and we might get top four, and we're not guaranteed to win against City. That's so he has got a good season. We're going in the right direction, but some of the beatings we're taking are just, you know, they're not. If you were one nil, you know, two one, but they've been absolutely battering that we've yeah, taken. Yeah, so the one at Anfield. I mean, that's gonna that'll have scarred a lot of people on it, unfortunately. Oh, I was, I was with my girlfriend, I was, I was like, after the fourth, I was like, I never ever do this, ever. And I always watch a game to the end, but I was like, I can't. I just think we're just going to keep conceding. And then I looked at it, and I was like, we did. You've got the <laughs> score after you think, oh, hang on, this seems like more like a game of FIFA than anything else. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrific. Um, but it's so strange because, you know, I don't think we played too badly the two or three games before that, and then we just got absolutely annihilated. I was actually really confident going to Liverpool game. Yeah, just like they were, anything that could go wrong did go wrong, didn't it? Yeah, everything. But they were, they were shooting all sin, uh, firing all cylinders, and we just were just off it. But they just punched all through us. That's it. Just uh, like I say, these things happen, don't they? So yeah, of course. Yeah. Just uh, get on with things. So all right, so that's 
that sort of thing's taken care of. Um, what we're going to do now is, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, this is the uh, the whole randomness side of things. Right, okay. So the segment is called Five from Five, and I've got five blocks of 11 questions, and I've put together a spinner wheel now so that it takes a bit more, gives it a bit more of a random feel to it. So it will land on a number between 1 and 11. That'll give us a question, and you just got to answer it. No way. Basically, so if I hang on, all right. So time for the five from five bit. Um, so Daz got five blocks of eleven questions. Obviously, eleven. You know, one to eleven for your football team. Seems makes sense. Um, we've got the the spinner to save you having to make the choice yourself. Which, I mean, not that difficult picking a number from one to eleven. But yeah, you know, we'll save you the hassle. Um, a bit of light-hearted randomness. So, if you're ready, should we go for question one? Let's go. Right, so, question eight is, okay, what was your first football shirt? It was... <laughs> it was... Um... Two shirts I remember getting was the. I didn't actually sound that good either, but I was got. A, I think it was the England two thousand and two shirt. That's how long it took okay. for me to get a shirt. Ten years, nearly nine. That's England two thousand two. So the one for the World Cup, presumably. Yeah, World Cup shirt. Yeah. One um, red light went down with it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so it was yeah. still on bro at that point, wasn't it as well? Yeah, yeah, Slumber. That's the one. Uh, okay, that was easy enough. Um, all right. Block two then. Uh, we've got question 10. Okay. Uh, have you got a favourite or a least favourite commentator? So, is there someone that you really like or someone that really gets on your tits? Um, I've got a favourite. Probably, uh, rest of soul is Motson. I used to love Motson. Yeah. Or, well, I'd say Motson, actually. And yeah. Lee's favourite is probably Lee Dixon. He drives me mad. Oh, yeah, Coco on Saturday. Is that because he's ex-City or is it just because you can't stand him? No, I just think he's, um, I think he's a bit tedious. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Like, like Alan McCoy is a co-commentator. I think he's absolutely superb. Um, he gets quite excited, doesn't he, McCoy? So. Yeah, I think you've got to get a bit... I know he's only co commentator, but these days I think more people prefer him than commentators. Yeah, listen, you know, say you've got your, your game on, on Sky and it's like, well, who was commentating on the game? Don't know, but they were sat next to Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher. Yeah. So you, you know the, the... Like you say, the co-commentator is sometimes more than the actual commentator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, right. Number three, then. Is question 11. Okay, this one's cropped up before. So, if you're in the trenches, uh, which well, past or present Man United players would you want either side of you? So, you've got one to your left, one to your right. Who would you want? Yeah, uh, good question. Vidic. I'd have to go with Vidic, not sort of tank. Yep. Um, a lot of people say Roy Keane, but I'm going to go with. He'd probably be there just like criticising the state of the trenches, how they've been dug. You know? 
<laughs> oh, the, the spade work on these. Oh, no, it's not, not deep enough, yeah. Them guns aren't clean. Yeah, I see. <laughs> um, do you know what? I'd probably say Peter Schmeichel. I, I think he's an absolute nut job. <laughs> yeah, he's probably doing those star jumps when the grenades are coming, wouldn't he? Yeah. He'd, he'd probably actually get more hyped up than everyone to be there for you and just yeah. kick off. You don't seem as mean as and as like aggressive as the others, but I think when you hear about him kicking off with the with the likes of Roy Keane and Steve Bruce and the people like that, you also must have something about him. Yeah, he's a big like. bugger as well, so you wouldn't really want to mess with him, would you? Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Right, uh, number four then. Um, that was almost guest choice, but we've got number nine, which is. Okay, have you got uh, a favourite chant or what? what's the best chant that you've heard? <laughs> um, there's quite a few, to be fair, in the back. There's some of them you can't obviously say, but... Yeah, there's some of them that, that are less than PC, and they're less facey. Oh, yeah, there's some less than PC ones. Like, the part you sung one was pretty good. I used to love yeah. that. Funnily <laughs> enough, um, the lad from the Oasis podcast come up with that one, but yeah. we managed to sort of... We, we got around it, shall we say. But I'll just go for a more pleasant one. I think one when I was there, I don't know why, when Ferguson left and when David Moyes and he had Janazite, and I used to love the Janazite ch- ch- chant. I'm going to tell you, I might as well do. By the boy, you can do anything. His name is Adnan. He's been from Belgium. Janazite, Janazite, Janazite. I used to love that. I don't know why. I, okay. I can't say it's one I'm familiar with, but I'm glad you gave us a rendition of it because, yeah. yeah, there we go. Why not? Just imagine the Stretford end singing that now. Like, even when singers are singers, they still do the, the football chants as football chants. Yeah, because it, it, it's, it's the fan really coming out, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. All right, so I believe this is going to be the last one then. And we've got... Now we've got guest choice. There we go. It was sort of a preemptive that last one, wasn't it? Yeah. All right, so, Daz, if you want to pick a number between 1 and 11, the floor is yours, son. 7. Seven, right. Okay. Uh, what moment from your club's history would you want made into a film? I think it already has, sort of, hasn't it? Really, the travel winning season has got to be. Got to be um, one. Not into yeah. a film, as in an order film, but they've obviously done the... Uh, like, a, like a documentary, that sort of thing. Sort of thing like. But yeah, I suppose all the film would be, it'd have to be uh, the travel winning season, 100%. Yeah. That, that could be quite a dramatic one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like we we feel never bringing someone down and nearly costing us the trouble. <laughs> and then you got the uh, and then in it and then Dick Ziggler and scoring and then Roy Keane's performance against Juventus. Yeah, I was going to say when because he got suspended after that game, didn't he? Because he, yeah, he got suspended, uh, scores, he got suspended got as well. Yeah, scores didn't play either. Um, but yeah, I'd say that 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 would that'd be the season. It's got to be. So that was it. That was ninety eight, ninety nine, wasn't it? So that was when yeah. you sort of. You know, everyone was sort of at their peak. You know, you had your, your Beckham, your gigs. Yeah. Fergie was in his, you know, well, yeah, we had I don't think he was ever... Red Strike is an absolute dominating form. You had Andy Cole, Dwight York, Sheringham and, and Ole Gunnar. All this, I think Ole Gunnar's show shot coming in. I don't think it was against Liverpool. I think it might have been, actually. It came on at, like, the 68th minute and scored four goals against someone. I was going to say, you spoiled it for choice with those four, aren't you, in the... Sort of all on form. Yeah, it was just. I don't know how I managed to do that because one thing I did used to love about Ferguson is how we, I always think still 
admirable is that he kept everyone happy somehow. Yeah. I'd probably say 80% of the squad, obviously, are people leave and things like that, but I'd always say, I've seen where he'll go to someone and go, you're going to be on that game and he'll make them hyped up for that one match and yeah. he'll perform. Sort of squad Pep's management. Yeah, yeah, I suppose Pep's got to do it at the moment, I suppose, in terms of comparing it to that, is that you've got so many quality players that you have to keep them all happy somehow. I was going to say, the number, they're almost like doing what Madrid do, ain't they, City? Because yeah, they've got yeah. the money to do it. Yeah, yeah, they are. But the good thing about what he's doing is that, well, I'm United fan, I can't stand looking at it. And talking <laughs> about it but is that the, the Galacticos, they just bought loads of players, a bit like Chelsea have, and just hoped it'd work. There wasn't really a strategy behind it. Like Chelsea last season, just the, the amount of players I've bought that I don't even know, but they've spent a lot of money on them. And they're just like, they're not doing anything for the of team. Course, they've got a shitload out on loan, haven't they, from the from the youth players? You know, they'll buy oh, yeah. X, Y and Z from so-and-so's youth academy. Yeah, it's like, oh, great, I'm going to Chelsea. And then you're out on loan in Holland somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so many players. De Bruyne was one of them. Lukaku was yeah. one of them. But then there was a guy what called, um, what was his name now? But, like, they've had so many, like, on loan players. But, like, Ake was through their books. Yeah. And he's, he's getting to 16. You just think, why don't, like, Zuma was touted to be a great player again. Still playing Premier League football, but... Yeah, there was um, an example of that, the, the lad they poached uh, from the Albion, Izzy Brown. Yeah, yeah, Izzy Brown. He, he went out and he, you know, unfortunately, he's had to retire now because he just had no luck with injuries whatsoever. Um, at, only at 26. Yeah. But, you know, he's obviously sort of seen the chance to go to Chelsea and thought, well, can't really pass this up because it might not happen again. And then he gets farmed out on loan to, I don't know, someone like Vitesse on him. In the, yeah, they all, you know. they all go to Holland. That's what yeah. I think. And it, some of them play all right. But there's a couple of them. There's one of them what plays at 21 level and he's like the best player for 21s, but he's playing for Chelsea in, in Vitesse. Yeah. I've his name now. That's the thing. I mean, the, the, the Dutch league, you know, so we've gone off a bit, in a bit of a tangent. You've almost got, it's almost like Scotland, I think, isn't it? Where you've got your top two, you've got Ajax and PSV. You've got and actually fighting for the rest. Fire nods and the rest are just nowhere near. Yeah. Well, we've just signed two of their players, haven't we, from last year? Yes. Was it Anthony and, um, Anthony and the um, defender? Martin. That's yeah. it, yeah. I knew so it was a sort of typical high. South American name, but I just couldn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got um, what's it called for Chelsea again? Zia, um, I keep thinking Maris, obviously not Maris. Yeah, he was from Ajax. Yeah, it's the Moroccan winger, isn't he? Yeah. Obviously, you get these players had a decent World Cup. Yeah, yeah, did a World Cup. But some of these players just don't seem to be able to, to cut it. That's, that's what you're going on. <laughs> Domesticated man and all that. I'm sorry, that, that's the rock and roll uh, recording that yeah. we're going for, isn't it? Corona's and uh, washing going off. Can't beat it. That's it. Luke Williamson Art is a family-run business producing digital art prints of iconic and famous football grounds from yesteryear, running since 2017. Also, by entering the code PROJFOOT10, that's projfoot one zero at the checkout, you'll get 10% off any artwork purchased. There's been a few technical issues recently with the code, but if you try it and it doesn't work, contact Luke and he should be able to sort it out for you. And also, if you're looking for a football quiz book with over 700 questions, as well as chapters on football in lockdown and the diary of a memorabilia collector, look no further than Football for Brains 21 by Stephen End.
A donation from the sale of each book goes towards the Scores Project and Head for Change Charities. And back to the show. Um, all right, well, if you're happy to, then we'll move on to the next bit, which is uh, four for you. Um, for anyone who's new to this, um, I've asked Daz to pick five matches which he could have experienced from the point of view of a particular player in that match. So, Daz, if you want to go for your first one, what we got? So the first one, I'm sure this has got to have been picked before. It's got to have been picked. Is um, Zidane versus Brazil, 1996. Hang on, 96. So, so I'd be Zidane. That, yeah. I've done this as an I'd be the players I'm sort of picking. So yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the best performances, like if you look at the highlights of any player at a world level. And he absolutely dominates from the first minute to the last. And you've got in that team, Cafu, Roberto Carlos, Dida, um, who were the midfield at the time. They had Ronaldo up front. They had some yeah. absolutely world-class players in Brazil. But he just ran rings around them all game. So it's if anyone's the, not seen that before... World Cup final you're on about? No, it's not. No. Um, is it 1996? Because 98 would have been the World Cup, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would so have just been. throwing a massive spanner into this now. Well, so around that, it might be 1998 then. But the, yeah, it might have been like a semi. I think it might be in the semis. But there's a, it's a, it is a top important. It's either world. It's it's World Cup game, and I think it's a semi final. Does they play Brazil in the final? They play Brazil in the final. Yeah, might be the final. Then. But should we make it even better? Should we go to the final? <laughs> so we'll go. With, we'll go to the final. Yeah, because they. He scored in that, didn't he, I think? And yeah, then did, Pati- did Petit score as well? Yeah. Well, he's like literally getting the ball, knocking it over the reds and just, you know, it's like Brazil coming to the prime and he's just absolutely taking the piss. It's unbelievable. But I'd say that's probably my favourite ever. What I've seen anyway, in terms of like, you, you break your day, game down and look at highlights of one player. Yeah. Probably up there on my favourite one. Yeah, because normally um, if Zidane crops up, it's from the, the final against Italy. When he yeah, yeah. put his head through Matarazzi's yeah, yeah, chest. Because yeah. <laughs> of his sister. Uh, yeah, when, when you went with Zidane, I was like, oh, here we go against the Italy one. It's like, oh no, Brazil. Okay. There, there yeah. we go. Bit of a. If you haven't seen it before, if you're sure a football fan and you haven't seen that, just, just type in Zidane versus Brazil, it'll come straight away. Yeah. So, all right. Um, number two then? Um, I don't know the year, but Ronaldinho versus Real Madrid, El Costco, where he just scored two and just absolutely destroyed him. That's got to be one of the big, uh, I think, I don't know. I, I picked the players that I'd sort of picked out as in like playing as them and just trying yeah. to imagine how they feel while absolutely just running ragged with his teams. It was would, absolute... would that have been at the Bernabeu or the New Camp? Um, that was at the Bernabeu. Yeah. Bernabeu. Yeah, because it can be. He, he took it on the, on, the, on the outside of one of the players and went into the box and buried it in the opposite corner. And then went on the second goal, he went into the, uh, sorry, inside first. And then the second goal, he went outside and then put us in the opposite corner. And I think actually um, Madrid fans were clapping him. That takes after, some doing as well, doesn't it? To get, yeah. yeah. For a bar surprise to get the Madrid fans on board. <laughs> um, the next but... one I've got is, this is mainly from the United's point of view, is just to be this player and score to goal must have been, even though it's a bit of a, you know, 
bit of a bad egg, but it's on these days. But Ryan Giggs versus Arsenal, semi final. FA Cup at Villa Park. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Phil Neville's obviously just brought some. Um, I can't remember what it was about down. And then they missed the penalty. Michael saved it. And then Vieira gives a sloppy pass to Giggsy. You know, Paul Scholes says on that. Um, because not in that too, he just kept running and he was like, pass it then, pass it then, pass it then. But then to <laughs> score, to be that person and like, in that body scoring that goal at Villa Park and the stadium just goes mad and he just, it's an unbelievable goal. And Arsenal now going to be one kick away from Wembley. How United need Peter Schmeichel to rescue them now. Dennis Bergkamp can take Arsenal to Wembley. I told you they needed Schmeichel, and they did! Well, was it a good penalty? Or was it a bit close to Schmeichel? That's a good save. Let's give Schmeichel the credit. Giggs. Great run here by Ryan Giggs! Oh, what a goal! Would you believe it? Ryan Giggs could have taken Manchester United to Wembley! I was going to say, Lee Dixon probably wakes up in a cold sweat. He's having nightmares about that to this day, doesn't he? <laughs> Do you know Lee Dixon's probably got the best ever on goal I've ever seen? Have you seen it? Um, is that the... Does he lob? He lobs Seaman. Yeah, I think... I, 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 I wouldn't have just made that up, but then again, Naeem's done it, Ronaldinho's done it, so he, he's in a sort of... You know, he's in <laughs> decent company lobbed. there, isn't he? He likes getting lobbed. But yeah, Lee Dixon lobs <laughs> Seaman. He's fantastic. Great finish if he's in the right net, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. I do love, I do love a lot. Rooney, Rooney's got a couple of nice lobsters. Um, West Ham away, I think, was one of them. Yeah, it was. Oh, that was the, that was miles out as well. Yeah, one of my favourite ever lobs is um, Francisco Totti. I think it's against Inter Milan. Right. And he runs, he dribbles past three or four people, and he gets to the edge of the box, and it looks like he's going to scream it, and he just goes, whoop! <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal. That's one of my favourite goals. Um, who else have I got? I've got one more United one. Yeah, I'll say we're three down. We've got two more to go. Yeah, I was gonna. I was in my two minds whether to pick Ole Gunnar and like scoring the winning goal in trouble. But I did go with Roy Keane in the end uh, against Juve in the summer. Yeah, because yeah, he got the. He already knew he was going to be out of the final. Um, and then he just absolutely put a storming performance on, and flew through and just. What might match by a country mile? And that team, that Juventus team, were absolutely were a joke, really. I was going to say, you had lots of Del Piero on that, wouldn't you? Del Piero, Edgar Davids, um, Seedhoff. There was this yep. team was this absolute joke. Stacked with world beaters, and he just bossed it. So, fair play to him. And the last one is very controversial. Um, but, the Maradona against us <laughs> because you've gone from cheating feeling like you know you've cheated to get a goal and going through that and then scoring one of the best individual goals of all time yeah so I'm guessing you'd want it to be in for, for both yeah goals, just, to... just the feeling of being in that body of thinking I've scored and I've cheated and he didn't even care that did it, let's be honest. No, but didn't he get... Yeah. I mean, I think we've said this before on other episodes where he got his teammates, didn't he, to celebrate Yeah, like it was a legit goal? Yeah, he did. It was, it's obviously we ate him for, which is right. So, and then... But then the things he could do with football were just, were just a joke. So, 
the, yeah, that's probably. Have I done that right, by the way? I've, I've also looked at people. Yeah, no, that's spot on. Uh, absolutely spot on, that is. So, uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're the ones that I'd want to play out. Just... Here's Maradona, and England have contained him pretty well so far. This looking dangerous. That's a poor clearance. Maradona with Shilton. Looked like handball, that. Maradona celebrating, and the goal's going to be given. Shilton furious, and so is Peter Reid. And the England manager, Bobby Robson, can't believe it. Definitely looks like handball, but the goal... But we haven't been able to control the play in midfield the way that Maradona has been able to do. And he's hurting England again here. It's a brilliant run. It's one of the World Cup great goals. And there's no doubt about that one. He left a trail of England players. Looking at the players that you've chosen, if that was a five-a-side team, you wouldn't need a goalkeeper. <laughs> Zidane, Rolinho, Giggs, Keane and Maradona. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Put it this way, I wouldn't fancy going up against him myself. I agree, mate. I agree. So, right, well, that's the, the match is done. So, on to the, the last bit now. Um, so, I've called this one a trippier through time. Again, I like a play on words. What can I say? That might no not point. be the greatest, but you no know point. what? <laughs> um, so, again, for anyone new to this, uh, Daz has been tasked with picking his best or favourite Man United eleven with the caveat that he can only pick players from the 1960s to the 2020s. And another uh, swerve ball on that one is that you can't have any more than two players from any particular decade. But, like I said to you in the message when I tried to explain it initially, um, there's now what I've called the City Lights rule, where you can have one decade with three players. So I think that's pretty much covered it, hasn't it? Yes, mate. I'm so, hoping that they're all going to work. I'm saying, get you thinking, doesn't it? This one, yeah. I have got some orders in there, which probably it gets thinking about the formation as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you want to squeeze certain players in, you think, do I go three at the back, four at the back, one yeah. at the back, baby? You know, there's only uh, two positions I'm gonna suck on the rest. I think, I think I'm all right in terms of eras. I think, okay. Well, what's your formation? We'll get, we'll get that taken four, care three, of. Three. Four, three, three, okay. Right, well, uh. We'll go from keeper through to striker then. So, who's uh, who's the man with the gloves? Schmeichel. Makes sense. And then, obviously, it makes sense for Schmeichel. You can't really say, uh, you know, he's been the most successful goalkeeper in his era, in history, in terms of, I think, winning trophies and dominance over a period. I did, I was I was contemplating Van der Sar. I did like Van der Sar. He would have been the next choice, really, wouldn't yeah. he? Which obviously goes against what I said earlier. Same day as probably the second best goalkeeper, yeah. which, which I think there in terms of, I think if you look at Deir and Van der Sar and Deir went was in that team, you know he'd have won a lot more. But it's just you know Van der Sar was phenomenal. He came from his from Fulham at thirty-seven and was absolutely everything. It was unbelievable. Um, Mr. Neville, right back. Which I bet you get a lot, but you know, right back's been a bit of a weird one, I think, for many years. I think Gary Neville was the standout for so long. And we've struggled with that position, to be honest with you. I think for the last 
five years, five, ten years. We've just never been able to sort of get it. Valencia was probably. I was going to say one. you had Antonio Valencia at one point, didn't you? So yeah, I don't know to swap them out actually to give me some bit of. Uh... I did like Valencia, but if you're just looking at Valencia Neville, it's got to be Neville. It's got to be Neville. Um, and I know Neville played over a couple of different. I think he even played. I'm not sure if he did play in the tens, but he played across three three decades. So nineties, noughties, and you think tens as well. Yeah. So it gives a bit of the score. Whereas I know Valencia just played not as intense. Yeah. Um, Michael played two decades. Yeah. Do you want to go for your left back next or do you want to go for your centre halves? Um, centre halves. Gone for Vidic. So he would have been. I was just looking up Gary Neville's career actually, so we'll sort of go through it. But. um. He was, yep, you were right. He did cover three, 92 to 2011. Yeah, I thought he in 2000. I know it wasn't a long time, but I know he did for a period. Yeah. Um, so Take then I've got, I've got Vidic, and then if I can, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if he cross over too much. But I know that obviously how it worked, but Steve Bruce, can you put him in? Uh, Bruce would have been. He was, he was, he was he eighties and nineties? I think. Eighties and nineties. Which yeah. case? It's not a name that gets spoken too fondly around these parts. I've got to say. I wonder why. <laughs> no, you know exactly why. <laughs> um, Eighty-seven to ninety-six. So, yep, that counts. Lovely stuff. So, left back. Who've you who've you got for that? Irwin. We should get. I think it's Irwin. Dennis yeah. Irwin. So he would have probably covered the same sort of thing. Yeah, right? I think um, same, same thing for Bruce, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty strong back four. I don't think there are many people beating them, if I'm honest. Um, Prime. For pace, maybe, but as you know, in, in terms of physicality, I, I, yeah, you'd find uh, you'd struggle with that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, in the modern game, I think they'd struggle pace wise. Nineties and noughties for Irwin. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. That might be a bit of a cleaner. My best, my favourite player at United, well, one of two, is uh, one that I've got away with, really. You know what I mean by that, I'm guessing. But um, the next player in the team, which is fine, was... Well, I've got two, actually. Bobby Charlton. Yep. And Captain Marvel. Robbo. Robbo. So there's two sort of central... Yes. Um, not, and then it was bad, what? Not a bad midfield pairing either, that is it? No, you can't complain, can you? Uh, and then I was going to have the number 10. Is I'm not sure if you can pick this player based on what I've got so far, but I think it could work because it's two from each. Um, it's two from 10s, isn't it? So yeah, Don't forget you've got the option of having one with three. So, so we've got. So I've got. Um, I wouldn't say CDMs. It'd be a very attacking midfield. You'd have Bobby Charlton, Robbo, and you'd have Rooney as like a number 10 and a striker. Sort of a a free roll sort of thing. Yeah, number 10. I think, to be honest with you, when he was at United, I know it was him as a striker, but I think really, if you look at his career overall, he was more the, you know, he was always behind the striker when we had Tevez there. He was 
was yeah. there to support the tethers. And that's when he was at his best. I loved him when he was playing in that role. Um, I think before he did his metatarsal in, in Euros, he was an out-and-out striker. He was a beast, but he, he sort of developed into a material really well for us. And sort even of, as he got older as well, he sort of and he dropped further back because he got that sort of that vision that pass, as well. Yeah, yeah, that pass he had, it was phenomenal. Absolutely brilliant player. Um, right wing, George Best. Good shout. Um, left wing, Ronaldo. What well, I'd take him is obviously he's played in this area, luckily, so I can yeah <laughs> can get away with it. You can shoot all the twenties in. Yeah, although my favourite version of him was ever really was when he won the Ballon d'Or the first time at United, and then there was that two years at Madrid, the first two years, I think it was just unbelievable. Playing from a wing and just really exciting to watch and scored loads of goals. I was going to say, he's got hang time like Michael Jordan, hadn't he, when he was playing for Madrid and Juve? I was just like, how the hell does he defy gravity like that? It's just ridiculous. It was like, I think, I'm not sure what it is, I'm not sure if he's Dubai or something, but it's like a little arcade where there's like a Ronaldo seven foot thing, uh, eight foot thing jump me, you can try and jump elite like him, something like that. I saw a video of this the other day, actually. People trying to jump yeah. and, and head the ball at that height yeah, that yeah. he can get to, and it's like okay. no one got anywhere near it. No one near it. Um, but yeah, he's got them two. I think, you know, you can't really go wrong with George Besson and Aldo. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair to say there's a few tricks in those two, isn't there, as well? Yeah, there is. Or as the they call it, a shit <laughs> I remember that game against Arsenal when he was wasting time in the corner. Mm. I think it was a bouet which went, finally went in and just went crunch. <laughs> Uh, James Morrison like did it. the same against Middlesbrough out on the touchline, going down towards the corner flag, and he just just wiped him out. I used to like him, you know. He's a good player, Morrison. Yeah, decent, decent player. I certainly like him. He's one of one of the better centimetres we've had. Yeah, yeah. Well, like definitely it. in the modern era. Hundred percent. So you've um, got one last player striker. left now. Haven't you? Striker, who would you go with? This is the one that I struggle with the most, weirdly enough. Um, it's a problem when you're spoilt for choice, isn't it? There's one player that you pick. There's one player that you pick, but I don't know if I can. I'm not sure on the areas if I can pick. If it's one I can go for frustrated, then it'd have to be Cantona. Right. There's a nine, but let's see if it works. Because if it does, that's a nice team. <laughs> let's have a look, shall we? So we've just had a, a brief. Administrative pause, shall we say, just to uh, to double check Daz's team and uh, to, to to that Daz's surprise, it was all spot on. So uh, well done on that one. Cheers, man. So you didn't even have to employ the city lights rule either. So uh, even better. There we go, straight in there. That's Not it. as bad knowledge as what I thought. So, <laughs> just to um, just to round this little bit off, then, and it's probably a bit of a a daft question, but I've got to ask it anyway. Um, who's going to be the manager for this team? Ferguson. Yeah, I figured that'd be your choice, but you know, I've got to ask the question either way, haven't I? Um, yeah, it's, it's got to be Ferguson. Would he have an assistant, or is he just is it yeah, just Fergie's I, operation? Favorite assistant that I had was Carlos Queiroz. I used to learn. Okay. I feel like they worked really well together, and I think to be fair, he did still win stuff after he left um, under McLaren, and he still did really well. But after Carlos went to Madrid, I feel like um, I don't know. It just seemed to it worked when they were. That's why I said like the Vodafone era. That's why we yeah. call it without the crossing. That was dominated early two thousands. That wasn't it when that yeah, Vodafone sponsor. They worked together and just it was just unbelievable. They just 
just loved watching them. Yeah. But so although, you, you know, they still dominated later on, but, yeah. you know, that's when that's what I used to love watching. The games with Arsenal then was the main games, really. Them, them sort of games with, with Arsenal was the big ones. And so that was the, the, the sort of Fergie Wenger. Um, yeah, I loved it then. That was Rivalry, so I just called really, it. Yeah. That, that's when we were talking about earlier in Uganda, that's when I went to watch games with them. That's when I yeah. probably sort of like... Um, Eight nine year old. That's when I started to get really into this watching the games, and we still love it. Um, I saw um, over the weekend just gone when Sky was showing whatever game it was because they've always got some sort of football on. Um, it was a Premier League game anyway, and they had Vieira sat next to Roy Keane, which I thought was a bit risky. Oh, did, did, have you not seen that um, in the studio? That, that documentary that they've done together. No, no. It's brilliant. It's worth watching. Not seen it. It's um, for like three four years ago now. It's okay. like Keenan Vieira and they literally sit, crazy face, his pals talking about the old days with Arsenal and Man United. Brilliant. Right. Really good watch. Oh, I'll have to dig that one out. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Really so, all right, well, we've gone through everything now, unfortunately. Um, so, but Daz, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Um, yeah, likewise, mate. Really enjoyed it. Do you want to give us a plug for where people can find you, sort of social media and what have you? Yeah, so it's uh, Daz Carabalanda. Bit of a mouthful. Mark got it first time, to be fair to him. Unlike some uh, radio presenters, which I'll not say their names. <laughs> um, I'll take that as a yeah. win. <laughs> yep, it's on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, all the usuals, really. Spotify, you can get yep. on there. iTunes, um, gonna be, like I said, going to be releasing a single in the next couple of months. Um, got things on Spotify already out, so you're going in the well. So, yeah, hope to see you soon. I'm Previous incumbents on the top six as well um, from earlier episodes. Can't quite remember the number, but go back and have a listen and you'll uh, you'll, you'll find Daz on there. Um, hey, in the meantime, like I say, go and give Daz a follow, a listen, all the usual you know, stuff that you need to do for the guests just to get the ball rolling with them. And um, yeah, Daz, like I say, thank you for coming on. All the best for the future and look forward to catching up with you, mate. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you, Mark. All thank right, take much. care, mate. Ta-ra. We'll have a bit of five-tier champs, I think. Um, So, after a decent run of holding on to the title in the Prem, uh, Aston Villa finally relinquished it to Manchester United on the 30th of April, uh, losing 1-0. Then, United couldn't hold on to it. They lost it straight away on the 4th of May, again, by a goal to nil to Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Not wanting to be outdone, though, they then relinquished the title to Everton, surprisingly. Um, Everton turned up at the MX and beat Brighton 5-1 on the 8th of May. But again, not wanting to hold on to it for too long, Everton faced the sky blue juggernaut that is Manchester City on the 14th of May. And they only lost 3-0, so they'll probably take that as a decent result, all things considered. Uh, Man City then went on to defend that title against uh, Chelsea on the 21st of May. And they won that fixture 1-0. And also, in that time, they've won the Premier League as well. So, uh, congrats to them again. Uh, Championship-wise, QPR coming off the back of taking it off Burnley. Um, They had their first defence against Stoke and they beat them 1-0. Then Bristol City came to town. And that was on the 29th of April. So, then on the 8th of May, last game of the season... 
uh, Bristol City rocked up and beat QPR 2-0. So going into the start of next season, the championship belt holders will be Bristol City. That's one for Andy in the Bang Band podcast. You're welcome. Uh, League One, uh, it was Cambridge United. Uh, they'd taken the title off Accrington Stanley on the 29th of April. But then on the 3rd of May, uh, Burton Albion beat them 1-0 to take it off them. And then on the last day of the season, on the 7th of May, uh, Burton drew 0-0 with MK Dons, who was subsequently relegated. Tripping over my words there. Um, so, yeah, going into the start of next season in League One, it will be Burton Albion starting with the title there. Uh, League Two, Stevenage still got it. Uh, they've had two defences. That was against Grimsby on the 29th of April. They won that one 2-0. And then on the 8th of May, again, last game of the season, they beat Barrow 1-0 to go into next season as the holders in League 2. And in the Conference or National League, if you're one of those new kind of name people, um, it's Halifax, or FC Halifax Town, rather, uh, had a decent run with it. Uh, the only one that we've got covered in this episode was on the 29th of April, and that was a 1-1 draw at home to Eastleigh. So Halifax will go into the 23-24 season as title holders there. And just as a bit of a you know, extra bit, uh, five-tier champs is going to change next season to seven-tier champs. So I'm going to include the Conference North-South or National League North-South if you prefer. Um, so yeah, just adding a little bit of a extra layer to it. Last time out, Rob from the UTT podcast uh, suggested um, AI creates a poem for uh, Huddersfield manager Neil Warnock, which if you've heard the last episode, then you know all about that. So I thought I'd give it a go for the Burnley one. Um, I've come up with a name of it, which you know that, that's my input at least. Um, I called it The Company You Keep, and AI threw up this. In the realm of football's grace, where legends etch their glorious space, a tale of triumph and resolute might unfolds with Vincent Company's radiant light. Through the annals of a storied game, Burnley's aspirations rose aflame. In their quest for glory, they stood tall, with Company leading, inspiring all. Born of Belgian steel, a lion's heart, Company's presence, a work of art. From City's embrace, he took flight to guide Burnley's dreams to radiant height. With every stride a leader emerged, his voice a beacon, his will submerged. In the fire of passion burning deep, company urged his team to never sleep. Through trials and tribulations they fought, each battle won, lessons were taught. His presence commanded the fortress strong, defending with poise, correcting any wrong. In the heart of Turf Moor, where dreams collide, company's presence a rising tide. His defensive prowess, unmatched skill, inspiring the team with a burning will. The championship echoed with Burnley's name as they soared above the rival's flame. Company's guidance, a gift untold, igniting the embers of a story to behold. The trophy raised, triumphant roars, eternal glory forevermore. With Company's touch, victory was sealed, a triumph written, a legacy revealed. So let the chance of Burnley rise, carrying the spirit that never dies. For Vincent Company, their guiding star, leading them to glory from afar. 
in the hallowed halls of football's law, a tale is woven forevermore of Vincent Company's resolute flame and Burnley's triumph in his esteemed name. Now seems like a good time to go to the next chapter of the FM story. Um, so we're into January of season two, which would be what tw- going into 2024 now uh, in game. And started off with a one-all draw in the league away at Wrexham. Um, both goals came fairly late on. Wrexham took the lead on 82 through Danny Cashman. Then Alex Fletcher equalised for Harrogate on 88. Um, Wrexham doing all right in the league. Uh, they were fifth going into this. So anything for a mid-table Harrogate team that we took off him uh, is a bonus point, really. Uh, following up from that was a home game against Carlisle, who were bottom. Uh, we beat them 2-1. Uh, goals coming from uh, Fletcher again in the 23rd minute and then Will Smith. Um, insert your own joke there. I'm sure you've got plenty of them. Uh Made it 2-0 on 77. Uh, Carlisle clawed one back through Dylan Connolly from the spot uh, right at the end, but it was enough to see us take the points, which I'm quite happy with that. Um, after that, we still sat in 12th, so comfortable mid-table. Again, I'll take that. Um, following that was a trip to Mansfield and back-to-back wins. Uh, the scoring started for the home team through Ollie Hawkins on 40, uh, 49. Uh, then Fletcher on 74, Clark on 87, put us 2-1 in the lead quite late on. And then Tyler Frost in the 91st minute just to round things off. Uh, we come away from Nottinghamshire, I think, is it Mansfield? I don't know. I'll have to check my geography on that one. Um, but yeah, nice back-to-back win. So before that, Mansfield to 21st, and that moved us up to 11th. Uh, FA Cup third round now. And we took on Sunderland at home, uh, got a 1-1 draw, which considering at the time they were eighth in the championship, you know, say two divisions above, um, that was great for the club. Um, got uh, Went behind through uh, on 10 minutes from Nathan Phillips for Sunderland and then Charlie Kelman got the equaliser to force a replay on 75. So it was a trip over to... Uh, over to the Stadium of Light for us in a week and a half. But in between that, we got a league game against bottom place Stevenage. Um, went there and drew 1-1. And they took the lead on four minutes through Harvey Saunders. And Fletcher equalised on 27. Um, Stevenage had a player sent off on 75 in the form of Bailey Clements. But that wasn't enough for us to take anything other than a point. But you know, three games in the league... Without defeat, decent little run. Um, And then next, it was a home game against Salford. Um, We went up to 10th after the Stevenage game. Sorry, so yeah, the Salford game um, at home. They were bottom on this. So uh, no, tell a lie. It was Stevenage that were bottom. Salford were fifth. Um, Yeah, it was a a close game in terms of scoreline. 4-3 to Salford in the end. Uh, we opened the scoring on four minutes through uh, Ote or Ota, I think. Any uh, Leak equalised for Salford on twenty-five. Uh, they took the lead from the spot through Stevie Mallon on forty-seven. Well, second minutes first off stoppage time. Um, we then equalised from the spot on forty-nine. So just after the second half started, 
And then an own goal puts 3-2 in the lead on 67. And then Armstrong Oco flex. Um, he got himself a brace on 71 and 88, and that meant Salford left with all three points, unfortunately. Um, that nudged us back down to 11th from 10th, but as I say, still top half, so yeah, we'll be happy. Um, then came the cup replay, um, went up to the stadium of light. Sunderland still eighth in the championship, and we lost 3 0, so not much more to report on that one. Um, following that was a trip to seventh place Swindon. Uh, got a kind of turnover in that one, it's fair to say. Uh, 4-1. Uh, again, open scoring quite early on through Ote. Uh, but then on 38 and 43, Jacob Wakeling got uh, his first two goals of the game. Daniel Chester's made it 3-1. And then on the 92nd minute, uh, Wakeling completed his hat-trick uh, for Swindon. And we dropped back down to 12th. Uh, home game then against... Doncaster to round off the month of January and they lost that one. Uh, the goals didn't get going until the half hour and that was for Doncaster, that was George Miller and then Aidan Barlow uh, on 71 made it 2-0. We clawed on back through Charlie Kelman on 75 but it was too little too late by that point and Rovers left with all points. So a bit of a grudge match to start February and it was a trip to Lake Norin to, if you've been listening to this, you would know that they were the uh, my in-game former employers. Um, yeah, it was a nil-nil draw, so they were eighth at the time. Uh, we dropped down to fourteenth. Um, probably should mention the board and fan gradings. Actually, um, at the end of January, it was an A minus from the board and an A plus from the fans. We made a few signings as well. We got Matty Longstaff in on a free. Uh, English striker Kyle Hudden in for three point seven thousand from Huddersfield. And American striker Charlie Kelman came in from QPR for a princely sum of £5,000. Yep, I know. Last of the big spenders. So, following the Lake Norian game, I'm not sorry, down to dropped down to 14th. Um, this is the middle of a pretty patchy run, in all fairness. Uh, a trip to Gillingham followed that. They were 16th at the time. We lost that one 2 1. So, not ideal. And um, we took the lead again early on. Uh, Hudin scored for us on seven minutes, but then uh, Mikhail Mandron scored on 47 to level things for Gillingham. And then Josh Hawks on 88 with what proves to be the winner. Uh, so after that, we dropped down to, sorry, stayed 14th. Uh, the home game then against Forest Green Rovers. Uh, they were in ninth at the time. Uh, lost that one 4-2. Again, the goals, the first goal came in the first 10 minutes. Uh, Hudin put us 1-0 up. Uh, Joe Piggott equalised for Forest Green on 21. They then took the lead through Matty Stevens on 37. Owen Hesketh equalised on 55. And then uh, Matty Stevens got his second on 82. But before that, Jan Songo scored on the 75th minute. And yeah, it was 4 2 on a score. Dropped down to 15th. Uh, the last game in February was a home game against Barrow, who were in 18th. And lost that one 2-0. Uh, Josh Kay on 54 and 80 minutes put us to the sword. Um, holding on about 15th in the league from that. And the board dropped our grading down to a B plus, And the fans dropped us from an A plus to an A. So still Burke Graves and got at school anyway. Uh, there you go. And that 
is the roundup for the FM story. If you're looking for a little bit of uh, FPL action, you're in luck because here's the roundup for the uh, Project Football Podcast FPL League. Uh, we'll start off with the league side of things. Uh, so we're covering game week 33 through to 36. Uh, your top three, uh, six times we're from Gavin Bailey, were top after game week 33 uh, with 2,069. Uh, superlatives were second and LUFC. Uh, sorry, they had 2,019 and LUFC were third with 1,973. Uh, going into the next week, um, the top two hadn't changed. Uh, six times at 2,198 and the superlatives 2,087. But now in third, it was Sam Lambert, Gangsters Allardyce uh, with 2,055. Uh, just for a mention, going through all these, the bottom three are the same every week. Uh, Project Football FC bottom, Pain in the Glass second bottom and the Bella Boys third from bottom. So nothing's really changing at that end of the league. It's all about the, the top end at the moment. Um, so yeah, the game week 34, top two stayed the same. Third place changed. Game week 35, six times, still top, 2,237. Superlatives, still second, 2,129. Yet another change in third place saw Dan Griffin take bronze medal stage and his Reese's pieces are on 2,089. Um, you know what? I've just realised that that's not correct. It was actually LUFC that were third on 2092. I clearly can't do maths properly. So, going on to game week 36, and still got six times at the top of the league, 2,321. Uh, superlatives, still second with 2,189. And now into third with 2,178. It is actually Dan Griffin with Reese's Pieces. So I got there in the end. Um, moving on now to the semi-finals and the final of the uh, PFP FPL Knockout Cup. I oh, know, just rolls off the tongue. So the semi-finals saw Aki and Saltfish go up against the Away Day Warriors. And Reese's Pieces take on Gangsters Allardyce. Uh, two very close games in this one, to be fair. Uh, Aki and Saltfish, Aki and Saltfish uh, were the winners in their game by 78 points to 74. And Reese's Pieces, 110. Gangsters Allardyce, 100. Now, really, you get a three-figure score, you'd expect to do better than the majority of other people. But unfortunately for Sam Lambeth, that wasn't the case. And it was Dan Griffin that saw his way into the final. And he went up against um, Aki and Saltfish, managed by Dwayne, who is one of our lads from work. And it was Dan that took the final, 78 to 73. So those last few games, all very, very close. But Dan, congratulations on winning the cup. So that's you with the knockout cup and uh, Paul Life from the Mariners with his Luigi Glombard team who took the League Cup. So that's our first two trophies sorted for the season. I've just got to wait now and see who ends up taking the league, which if it stays like it is, chances are that's going to be uh, Gavin Bailey's six times. But 
you know, there's still a couple of game weeks left, so we shall wait and see. So it's time for your fix of new music now with the top six and we kick off with the latest single from Wes King and that's called Clay and that was out on the 13th of April. Uh, Wes King is an accomplished singer-songwriter hailing from Maidstone in Kent. Following on from his earliest single releases of MH, We Were Young, Take It or Leave It and Mona Lisa, which were all received to much critical acclaim from the likes of BBC Radio and from John Kennedy on his Radio X exposure show. Wes King is now back with a much more gentler and emotive offering in Clay. Clay is a strikingly beautiful track where Wes's stunning vocals are really being allowed to shine and take centre stage. The instrumentals are paired back and twinkling in melody, really letting Wes's vocal range take full effect, something which has been hinted at previous releases, but never before shown at such a full degree. The track is also a lot more reflective, taking on a whole new dimension for this extremely talented singer-songwriter. Wes himself has said of the track, the new single Clay is our first track on a breakup song, sorry, first take on a breakup song with a touch of a familiar charm and wit. Uh, If you want to get hold of Wes on socials, uh, you can do so at Wes King Music. Uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram, so obviously Wes with a Z. Um, again, for all these, Spotify links will be in the description as well. So here's a little bit of Wes King and Clay. Next up, we've got the Islers with Who's Your Money On? And that was out on the 14th of April. Uh, The Islers were born out of the desire to create a new breed of indie rock with upbeat rhythms, sharp melodies and thoughtful lyricism that hint at influences such as the Smiths, Alves, I think I might have said that right, Vampire Weekend and Poor Weller. The songs are harvested from youth and the experiences British adolescents face throughout their journey into adulthood. The anxiety, happiness, the breakups with first loves, and everything in between. Uh, before we go into that, you can find the Islers on Twitter and Instagram at the Islers Band. So here's a little bit of Who's Your Money On? Track number three is from Noasis, uh, appearing again in the in the top six. Uh, this track is called Walk On, and that was out on the 14th of April. Uh, on the back of three years performing the inspiring Wall of Sound, 
and phenomenon that was Oasis. 2023 sees No Oasis continue evolving their sound, launching their second original single of 2023, Walk On. Walk On hits on a lo-fi indie vibe, which is written and fronted by Tom Spivey, singer and guitarist with No Oasis. He explains, Walk On is inspired by early years of my life in the UK and listening to bands such as the Stone Roses, Gorillas, and Sneaker Pimps. I have a fondness for that period in my life and music around our home and in my granddad's car. The song is about the pace of 21st century living and for me, the coming of age in a new country and a very different time of life. Uh, you can find Noasis on Instagram at noasis underscore official. And here's a little bit of Walk On. into the second half of the six now and we've got the Montagues with their latest song White Lies and that was out on the 24th no not the 24th the 21st of April uh, the Montagues latest release White Lies is a distinctive, distinctively more rockier sound for the band showcasing another dimension to their sound White Lies is a straight off the bat high octane fast paced banger with its pounding drums and fuzzing guitars the production on that leads to an explosive finale that will leave you breathless. White Lies is top-notch with every instrument and vocal perfectly balanced and mixed. The song's pacing is also expertly crafted with a gradual build-up. Uh, you can find the Montagues on Twitter at Montagues Music and also the same for their Instagram. So here's a little bit of White Lies. Penultimate track now, uh, Vivas, Out To Get Me. That was out on the 21st of April. Uh, Vivas are a Sheffield-based band consisting of James Wilson on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Tyler Savage on lead guitar and backing vocals, Kane Ibberston, or Ibbotson, sorry, on bass and backing vocals, and Keaton Barker on drums. Although only formed in the past year, Vivas have already achieved so much as a band, bringing a positive and highly infectious approach to their music. Vivas are a classic indie rock band that bring the energy and attitude in abundance, making for some great music and some pretty high-octane live performances too. Live performances so far have seen them play to a sold-out Sheffield's Sydney and Matilda and the Lead Mill, and they've already embarked on their first UK tour, selling out venues in cities such as Leeds, Glasgow and Manchester. In their first year, Vivas released an impressive total of three singles, being Sweet Talker in March, 
It's All Right in July and Feel in November. All three singles were received with a warm welcome from fans old and new, as well as from press and radio from the likes of BBC Introducing, Amazing Radio and The Sheffield Star, as well as gaining the band in excess of 40,000 streams on Spotify alone. Um, if you want to get hold of Vivas, you can do at Vivas Band UK, and that's the same for Twitter and Instagram. More to the point, here's a little bit of the track. Rounding off proceedings now with uh, a familiar band name and The Shed Project with their latest single, Our Fear Is Their Power, and that's out on the 26th of May. Following their last melodic masterpiece for mental health organisation Wise Up, Bolton band The Shed Project are back with balls, with rock and roll bells on. Uh, Described by vocalist Roy Fletcher as a song about the lies and corruption of the establishment and the mainstream media, it signals a return to the hard indie-edge sounds of yesteryear with the Shed Project and their unique modern 2023 twist. So here's a little bit of Our Fear Is Their Power by the Shed Project. probably should have added before that uh, if you want to get in touch with the band you can do at project underscore shed on twitter and the shed project underscore band on instagram uh, not so much a, a seventh track but just a little nod as well to um a band that have been on the show that i've seen live and that have had tracks in the in this particular segment as well and that is uh marseille uh, had their latest single thinker uh two or three episodes ago i think it was uh, but they've got an ep now out called freedom so I urge you to go and give that a listen as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you want to find Daz on social media, uh, you can do on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same uh, handle for both. It's at Daz Cadwalander. So D-A-Z-C-A-D-W-A-L-L-A-N-D-E-R. I will put that in the episode description as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so via Twitter at proj underscore foot, uh, Instagram at Project Football Podcast, Facebook, search for Project Football Podcast on there. Uh, if you've got any suggestions or anything for the top six or any of the other features, uh, you can drop us an email at projfoot at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to see the work that Luke Williamson produces, you can do that at his website, which is lukewilliamsonart.com. 
Uh, his Twitter is at LT Williamson Art. And last but by no means least, if you want to get a copy of the Football for Brains quiz book, uh, follow the link in the description uh, to pick it up on eBay. And you can get hold of them on Twitter at brains underscore 21. Um, also, if you'd like to leave a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice, that'd be great. It's always nice to receive a bit of feedback, hopefully positive. Um, but again, thank you very much for listening. We've now reached full time. And all I've got to say now is goodbye and take care. Mm-hmm.